The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us for Market Talk here today as we broadcast live from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show here for the second day of Cattle Con 24. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have a lot to get to on the show. We're going to lean a little bit more into some of the conversations we're having here at NCBA today on the program. I know coming up, we're going to talk with Dr. Julia Herman, the veterinarian with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We're also uh, expecting to have a conversation with Mark Isley, the president-elect of NCBA, and much more on the way here on today's program. Looking at the market action that we saw on the day on Thursday, kind of a down day, soybeans under some pressure. I'm gonna talk about that with you here as we kick off the show today, kind of mixed in corn and wheat as well. Good day in cattle after a fairly neutral to friendly cattle inventory report on Wednesday. Let's get some market thoughts to kick off the show. We talked with Mike Castle from Stone X in our midday commentary on the day Thursday. He gave us his thoughts on some of that pressure in the soy complex. We also talk about the macro factors impacting the market and more. Here is that conversation with Mike Castle from StoneX. Yeah, had some uh, pretty disappointing soybean export sales here this morning, uh, China being the featured buyer on what we did have sold there. But again, low volumes, and that's, you know, not really a shock with Brazilian beans being, you know, two plus dollars a bushel cheaper, kind of a no brainer on where they're going to go there. So again, kind of weighing on overall U.S. soybean demand, fundamentals here domestically still looking pretty bearish after the January report and just not really seeing a whole lot of fresh fundamental news. Um, you know, in South America, forecast still kind of looking better. You know, as we get deeper into Brazil's soybean harvest here, we should have kind of a better feel for the crop. But overall, it seems like even if we do shrink it from where we're at currently, it's still going to be, you know, at least the second biggest soybean crop of all time after a record last year. So really just kind of tough to get too bullish today. I wonder, too, uh, all the macro news we've had this week here. Mike, obviously, we had the Fed meeting yesterday wrapping up, and it sounds like they're going to keep pace to maybe look at rate cuts here in March. We've had a lot of other economic data out. We've had Chinese economic news that's been in the market. Uh, how much is is this still a factor here in the grains towards the end of the week? Is it adding to some of this pressure? Yeah, I think it's kind of keeping the headwinds present there. Uh, you know, the trade kind of being surprised again at how hawkish kind of the Fed's comments were, which, again, shouldn't be much of a surprise. The Fed's been very consistent in their, you know, intent to not start cutting rates too early, not repeat the mistakes they have in the past. Uh, but for whatever reason, the market has continued to kind of be overly optimistic in their expectations of that pivot. So them holding, you know, still chances of a cut maybe in march maybe it'll be may now uh but you know with so much focus on the fed uh you know from the market that's kind of what we're paying the most attention to bad news is kind of turning back into good news so we did see some ugly jobs data this morning it's our biggest job cuts in 10 months 
saw some pretty negative uh, unemployment data, initial and continuing jobless claims, both increasing. But, you know, obviously on the surface, that's bad news. But in hopes of turning to more dovish policy from the Fed, that's good news. So we're seeing some strengths in stocks from uh, that data this morning. Over in the livestock trade, too, real quick, cattle having a really good day Thursday. We got that cattle inventory report out Wednesday after the close, showed cattle inventory down 2%, uh, fairly neutral to friendly report, it looked like. It seems like that's spilling over into the cattle trade here today. Oh, yeah. Seeing that strength continue kind of confirmed what we were expecting there. Uh, like you said, they're kind of seeing some strength in the cash markets as well. Saw a 176 trade in the south yesterday. A little bit more strength than we haven't seen the trade, but it does sound like we're bid 176, offered 178. That's up, you know, already at 176, up a dollar or two from last week. So, again, kind of continuing with that strength that we haven't seen it confirmed yet, but it does feel like we're going to keep firming here. And once again, that is thoughts from Mike Castle with Stone X filling in for Arlen Suderman during our midday commentary on Thursday. And looking at the market trade action again, uh, just kind of a down day on Thursday. A little more profit taking in the grains led by the soy complex. Mike alluded to it. Very dismal uh, soybean export sales on the weekly report for the weekend of January 25th. USDA reported an increase of 6 million bushels of soybean export sales. Last week's export shipments of 34 4.9 million bushels were above the 23.3 million bushels needed each week to achieve USDA's export estimate for the 23-24 marketing year, but still not a great number. Corn exports saw an increase of 47.5 million bushels on the weekend to January 25th. Wheat exports, 11.8 million bushel increase there for the 23-24 marketing year. So again, those export sales on the weekly side, a little dismal. We did get a flash sale, though, reported to kick off the month of February. USDA uh, reporting sales of soybeans to Mexico for the 23-24 marketing year, 206,834 metric tons. Now, overall, looking at the markets, of course, you get into a new month. There's always a lot of extra money flow. There's still a lot of short positions being held by a lot of the managed money and the funds here in this grain and oilseed trade as well. So really, uh, as we've been talking about here on the show for the last couple of weeks, making sure that you're, you're smart about your marketing and have a plan, that's going to be a big, big key here moving forward. And taking advantage of some of the rallies and having your orders working and price targets set. Those are some of the things that I keep hearing a lot from our guests here on the program. And again, you know, with soybeans down, uh, pushing back towards that $12 handle in March beans, uh, some of these old crop prices not looking the best. You look out at some of the new crop crop contracts as well still fairly decent prices uh, at least that's what i've heard from a lot of traders and analysts i mean these corn is hovering between 474.80 novi beans uh, for 24 it's kind of in that 1180 1190 range not amazing but still uh, some opportunity there to think about the wheat side it's going to be interesting to see how this wheat crop comes out of dormancy here as well uh, that could be a big driver of price action of course we're continuing to watch the geopolitical risks and everything that is happening around the world that continues to be a driving factor that's kind of on the outlier of these markets right now no doubt and something we want to keep our eyes on closely 
as to what is happening in the Red Sea, in the Black Sea region as well. There's just a ton that is uh, going on that we need to keep our eyes on here moving forward. All right, coming up on the program here today, I mentioned we're going to lean just a little bit away from the markets uh, here today as we have some conversations here that we're having at the NCBA trade show and cattle industry convention. One of those conversations is with Mark Isley. He is the president-elect of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We are going to sit down with him and talk about some of the policy priorities that NCBA has set here for 2024. We're going to get his thoughts, no doubt, on the farm bill, where things stand with that in D.C., the in the appropriations process. I know traceability is a hot topic here at the show this week. Also, uh, the uh, checkoff and some of the attacks against the checkoff that we've seen is a topic that they are talking about. It's one of NCBA's policy priorities for 2024. So uh, a wide-ranging conversation coming up with Mark Isley, president-elect of the NCBA. He joins us next, back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after the break. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice. And you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here during the Cattle Industry Convention at NCBA Trade Show, he is the president-elect of NCBA. Mark Isley is with us. Mark, it is good to see you, sir. Thanks for taking the time to join us here on AOA today. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Let's talk about NCBA's 2024 policy priorities. I know uh, you guys have rolled those out here during convention, and uh, among the things you guys are looking for 2024 let's start with the farm bill because i know that is something that is on the minds of many many folks here in agriculture wondering how long is it going to take for us to get a new five-year farm bill done talk about your views and where we're at with things mark you know it's uh we are optimistic, but we're realists about it, too. Now, the Congress is divided. They can't seem to want to agree on how to do it. There's fractures within their own party uh, that are impediments to that. Leadership kind of seems to be afraid to step up. However, some of the egg committees uh, seem to still be focused. I, I'm, I'm optimistic that they might get a handle on some of those things, and maybe we will actually see something. I know in terms of what's in the farm bill, I know a lot of folks on the grain side, they're talking reference prices and things like that. Sure. But from the cattle side, the livestock side, I know there's some key animal health provisions that we're looking to get reauthorized in the farm bill, et cetera, et cetera. Talk about some of those things you guys want to see in the actual the, text. The livestock mandatory reporting has got to be in there to, to stabilize our markets, to give people an idea where that's going. We have to have those uh, uh, risk protection 
programs in place. We have to have the disaster assurances in place because everyone has a flood, a fire, a natural disaster that, that, can, that can hit them. Those are important. Of course, uh, we're also working some, uh, on some other things. This uh, National Animal Vaccine and, and Veterinary Countermeasures Bank is huge uh, with uh, foot and mouth disease and any of those things uh, at our shores. We're trying to keep them out. So those are some of the top ones. I mean, the list, list is still long and distinguished, mm-hmm. but th- that, we'll hit those three right off the top. Definitely. Well, I think with foot and mouth disease, of course, that makes my mind jump to the Paraguayan beef issue. And I know that's still a, a topic... Uh, that a lot of folks are, are watching and concerned about. I'm sure it's a topic here for folks this week, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. We have repeatedly asked USDA to stop those imports. Please bolster those protections. Let's make sure we're getting some clean trade on this thing, that they're not sending stuff to us. And USDA will literally not return our calls. We don't understand mm. that. They, they seem to be more concerned with protecting their, and I'm being real blunt here, they seem more intent on protecting their diplomatic relationship and doing it with consumers and rather than working out for the rural folks. The Uruguayan meat and the Brazilian meat, if it clears, that's one thing. But let's see that paperwork. Let's see that testing. Are those protocols in place? I, I can't begin to understand why we're not addressing those things. And I have to agree with you on that. I, I've said this multiple times here on the show and in conversations with folks. To me, it just seems like common sense that we need to make sure things are updated. And I, you know, I know there's been the, the pushback, well, you know, all the channels and this and that. And, you know, we've gone through all the hurdles. But... A lot of this is outdated stuff, Mark. Well, and it's not only not outdated, but we're on the same page with some of our North American trading partners. Mm-hmm. Mexico and Canada, they're as fearful as we are because they can see those threats. They're tr- proactively trying to do something, they're, but they need America to step in. Mm-hmm. And our USDA is, is and they're, some of them are great people, but they're not stepping up to the plate. And I think it's coming from up above. I know another topic here uh, at Cattle Convention and another big issue has been the attacks on the beef checkoff and yeah. a lot of the issues surrounding that. I mean, get us up to speed. Some of the latest you're hearing in conversations with folks here at the convention about you that. You know, we, we've got to protect the checkoff. Uh, the, the people who oppose it, they just they basically tell lies. They do distortions. Uh, they don't have the facts. I'm not sure they really understand the industry. Uh, it's it's uh, we do the thing about abuse and fraud and all those things the accusations they make. We've been through multiple uh, audits with USDA, the Cattlemen's Beef Board. It's all available to the public. I think there were if odds and ends, small things that happened years ago from the General Accounting Office, it's all been cleared up. It's all been fine. We've passed those audits. We're in great shape. We have to advertise and we have to promote beef in other places besides in our own home states. The big municipalities is a huge market. The Pacific Rim is a huge market. We can sell products overseas that we can't give away here in the States. So some of the Middle East is a great uh, place for our products. The checkoff also helps us with the dietary guidelines. It helps us with the medical profession. They have to be informed. And those are all functions of the things that the beef checkoff does. You know, you, you've got to advertise and you've got to self-promote. And it, we've, we've always had that. A lot of commodity groups have that. And I think there's huge support for it here, despite the naysayers. And who steps up? 
for the industry, the cattle industry, on all these issues like flood and fire and drought relief and price protection, mm-hmm. animal, you know, health and well-being, international trade, and CBA. We're the only ones that stand up and put our money where our mouth is. There are great firewalls between policy and checkoff. Everything is accounted for. So for those who, who doubt that, we'll show you the books. No yeah. problem. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's go to some other topics, too. Uh, I know some other priorities, thinking about regulatory issues. We, uh, we went through the WOTUS fight. Now we move you know, ahead looking at other things uh, with the Endangered Species Act. I know that's an issue. Some of those things that are out there, uh, just uh, it feels like a... More red tape out it, it, there. It is more red tape, and I've experienced a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And producers are putting in an impossible situation that's difficult for them to maneuver. Uh, the waters of the U.S. Is, a, is an example. We've got this great decision from the Supreme Court. Give us clarification. Give the producers something to work with. And EPA and the Corps of Engineers is trying to thread the needle by way of regulation. If they can't get it in legislation, they do it by regulation. Same with the agencies. They... Forget their mandates, their mission to protect a resource or use a resource in multiple use scenarios, and they try to regulate. And then we know it's coming from the top down. But it's, it's, the problem is, I think it's real simple. Producers are willing to meet a target, but the tar- target keeps moving. It's an impossible one to find and hit the way you need. So it's tough to plan for it. I know uh, one other policy priority I saw in there as well. It, it's tax season right now. There is a lot of talk surrounding some of the tax law, potential changes or shifts or whatever we have kind of going on right now in Washington, D.C., and stuff around the estate tax, debt tax, et cetera. Uh, what are some of your thoughts there? What is NCBA looking at this year? The, we, that's going to be one of my main battles I fight this year, the tax billing, the tax law, the death tax has got to be addressed in a way that's acceptable to our members. Uh, They foist a lot of that tax load on us uh, to pay for liberal policies and things that we never wanted to pay for. Lots of folks have paid for their place several times over, and in some cases they can't keep them. They end up losing it. You 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 can't transition to the next generation if you lose the thing to taxes and start out in the red to begin with. And the country wants to be fed. They like being healthy, like a good uh, source of food. Got to have some transition. And it's not just us. It's the other industries we support. We have incentive to buy equipment, get improvements for a ranch. That supports local economies. It supports individual industries, industries that are our sponsors and supporters, Mm -hmm. which we are tremendously grateful for. But when you take those incentives away, it's it's, uh, impossible for an industry to move forward. Mark, we've covered a lot here in a short amount of time, but as you're stepping into the role as president, uh, I'm sure excited for what 2024, what lies ahead here as you as you take over as president of NCBA, I'm sure. Absolutely. Looking forward to getting out and meeting people, see what's going on in the world, see how we can help, see what I can learn from them. Definitely. I'm excited. Thank Definitely. you. Mark Isley, NCBA president-elect. Thanks for joining us here at the Cattle Industry Convention. Mark, we'll look forward to talking again real soon. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you.
And once again, the president-elect of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Mark Isley, joining us here today from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show going on this week in Orlando, Florida. Really, uh, really a lot of great discussions being had here during the show. It's always fun to see. I know uh, over 7,000 people here, seeing people come together to uh, enjoy the trade show and all the various uh, meetings and conversations and the education as well. Uh, they have the learning lounges on the trade show floor. I know I'm hosting uh, one of those here uh, today as well. It's just there, there's so much to learn and, and a lot of good, honest conversations, and uh, you get to do it in sunny Orlando, Florida this year. That is always uh, a fun added bonus as well. Again, the market action we saw on Thursday, kind of a down day in the soybean trade. That was uh, uh, on the back of poor export sales there. Uh, Brazil's crop, of course, uh, coming online. Some of their port prices uh, firming up a little bit. So that seemed to kind of weigh on the soybeans. Uh, quarter wheat really mixed a couple of cents either side of unchanged. Cattle had a good day for the most part as well after a fairly neutral to friendly cattle inventory report out Wednesday. Outside markets were relatively quiet on the day on Thursday as well. All right, coming up, we're going to have more here from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. We'll be back on Market Talk on the way right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Let's get it. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk as we continue here from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. Joining us now for a conversation, global strategist for Animal Protein at Rabobank, Justin Sherrard is with us. Justin, it is great to see you again, sir. It's uh, been a while. I think uh, last year at CattleCon we sat down for a conversation, didn't we? We did, Jesse. Great to be back with you. And um, great to be here, um, given how markets are going, and yeah. there's so much to talk about. Um, let's get into it. What's um, what, what what what's everyone talking about? What's everyone thinking about? What's everyone? What are the questions everyone's asking about? You know, I think a, a lot of the questions that a lot of folks are, are are asking about here. I think one of the big ones that we haven't covered yet uh, here, at least I have it on the show, is just looking at beef demand and some of the competition from pork, poultry, et cetera yeah. here, domestically, globally, et cetera. And I know you guys have been doing some work on that. We talked to Lance Zimmerman yesterday, uh, you know, focused really in rebuilding the herd on the cattle side here domestically. But let's let's talk a little bit about some of the competition out there for beef, so to speak, here. Yeah. And some of the things you guys are seeing at Rabobank as we get into 2024. Sure. Look, You've got to weigh up here what's going to happen with prices because prices are important in two ways. The first way is if we want to get the incentives there to rebuild the herd and that's what we want and we're moving in that direction slowly, you've got to have good prices. You've got to have margins which provide the right incentives for people to hold on to stock and start rebuilding. 
And yet those same high prices can be a bit of a challenge to consumers, especially right now. We saw the Fed Reserve yesterday mm -hmm. release its um, view on, well, okay, it's, 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 it's formal view, but we now know that there's not going to be an interest rate cut in March. We're going to be waiting until June to see the first interest rate cut this year. And by the way, there's not going to be as many interest rate cuts as had been expected mm -hmm. during the course of 2024. And okay, that what that really means it's important i think to the consumer is that that's because we've still got persistent inflation so consumers are faced with a little bit of pressure from higher interest rates inflationary pressure and so they don't want to be spending more in fact they're starting to become cautious and there's nothing that makes them more cautious than a very high price for beef yeah and i think about this too and i'm hearing a lot of this you know some folks tell me they say well someone wants a steak they're still going to go buy a steak but I feel like with the way the economy has been, maybe we're not getting that uh, that tomahawk, or we're not getting that big, you know, cut that we're used to. Maybe we're getting a a cheaper cut of beef, or maybe we're substituting in pork chops, chicken, etc. I mean, are you seeing some of those shifts right now? I'm seeing two things. The first is that you'd have to say the consumer has been proven to be, as we would say, very resilient mm -hmm. in terms of their willingness to pay for beef, their willingness and, and, their, and their enjoyment of beef. And so that's a great thing that we should all celebrate here. But at the same time, chicken supplies are plentiful, pork supplies are plentiful. Plentiful means lower price. And it's a competitive market. We're fighting for the share of the plate, the share of the consumer wallet. And I think it's not just about price, it's also the fact that they've got, they've got an opening here to sort of push on development of their products in ways that better meet consumer needs. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little concerned that while we've got these higher prices for beef, we might just be sitting back and saying, okay, let's just kind of get as much product placed into the market as we can. Because let's be honest, there isn't as much as there was last year mm -hmm. and, there wasn't, and there isn't as much as there was but, you know, a couple of years ago. So we do have a little bit less, but we can't take our eye off what the consumer wants. We shouldn't take our eye off what the consumer wants, what they're willing to pay for, and what are the things that they're willing to pay for and, we, and how can we ensure that we're continuing to deliver them. Well, obviously, there's two sides of the coin here that impact our protein markets here in the U.S. The consumer demand, obviously, what we're talking about is is one area, but then also exports and trade and things like that. And, and I feel like this has been something that's been going on for a while, kind of the, the shifting of the deck chairs a little bit in terms of some of the global trade patterns and partnerships. And on the protein side, I mean, what are you seeing in terms of where the U.S. is at right now in 2024 and their role in, in protein trade around the world. The US is still owning grain-fed beef export around the world. If you think about the high-value markets, that's China, that's uh, uh, China-Hong Kong, that's um, Korea, that's Japan. Mm -hmm. These are the markets which want and pay for high-quality beef, grain-fed beef. The US is still owning that. So that's the good news. The other news is that Australia is at a different point in the cattle cycle. They produced a lot more beef last year. They're going to produce more again this year. And they are competing very heavily in some of those markets. Why? Because cattle prices in Australia today are roughly half of what they are here in the US. 
So it's not just a sort of 5-10% difference. I mean, it's half the price that you're paying for cattle in Australia at the moment if you're a packer Mm -hmm. and an exporter. So it gives them a fair lead. Now, the product may not be exactly the same, but if you talk about Japan, if you talk about China, you're talking about consumers who are increasingly price conscious. I was um, looking at some images in China the other day showing that... um, uh, a, a reasonably high-end um, steak chain was shifting its Wagyu supply away from Australia to, towards Uruguay to get a better price to, to make it there. And mm. the point in these markets, as you were saying before about the US, consumers still want beef and they still enjoy beef. They've got a taste for it and they want to do it. But what we're seeing in China is they're just spending a little bit less each time they go there. So that might be a smaller steak, it might be a different cut, And it may also be that they're not going there quite so often. So there is an angle there that we've got to work with. We've got a toehold in the market from a US point of view. Australia's got a toehold in the market. The Brazilians have got a a big footprint in the market there. And we've got to figure out what role do we want to play in capturing value out of those export markets into the future. Because we've got less beef, we've got to think about how much do you want to go into the local market and how much effort do you want to spend holding on to those export markets. That's a great point you make about you know finding what role we want to play. And I think there's certain external factors too that we have to consider with that too that can come up. I know in the case of China, they've had some various disease issues in, in their hog herd. I know pork prices in China have not been too great lately. So collapsed. I mean, collapsed. Word yeah, you, you, collapsed you, 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 is the better word be to use. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, things like that are other factors to consider here. This overall picture, aren't they, Justin? Price isn't the only thing that matters, but it always matters up to a point. And I think when we're talking about trade. The U.S. is going to be expensive in all trade mm-hmm. markets because cattle here, roughly speaking, if you put everything in U.S. dollar terms, are twice as expensive as Australia or Brazil. But it's not the only thing that matters. The U.S. has got great quality, and if it focuses on those areas where it really gets rewarded for that quality, then it can still play a role in the future in exports. But, you know, the more focus you put on those exports is kind of a little bit less focus you're putting on the on the domestic consumer. And... I feel that it's incredibly important that we keep up with what the what the local consumer wants, and yeah, what does a local consumer want? We we're, we're all filtered by what the food retailer, what the food service company tells us that the consumer wants. So that's really what we've got to keep up with as well. I guess something that maybe we can kind of put a bow on everything with here, Justin, is in terms of our rancher friends, our pork producer, chicken producer friends, et cetera, et cetera, as they're looking here at 2024, global picture, all these things we've got to take into account. I mean, what's something you want them all to kind of remember here as they're looking at managing their operation, managing their risk, things like that. They're watching the entire sector and all these factors that play in. I mean, you, you talked about, you know, how many folks have been resilient what should they be thinking about here in the year ahead as we navigate some of the volatility and and all the other things that are out there? I think the most obvious thing for me, which is also pretty hard for our rancher friends, is the consumer. What is it that the consumer wants? How can I be in... how can I make sure that I'm delivering what they want, what they need, what they're willing to pay for? What do I need to do across my operation to remain relevant to them? 
How do I produce the best possible beef and how do I get rewarded for it? Ultimately, that's about what the consumer is willing to pay. So understanding them, investing in understanding them all along the supply chain is, has never been more important as beef supplies dry up and as prices push higher up and we're asking people to pay more, we better make sure that we're telling them that they're getting a better product for it. Plenty of low cost, lower cost chicken and pork available if they're not happy with the beef. Yeah, a lot of things to consider. And I know a lot of you, things. Yeah, you and the team, of course, at Rabble Bank, uh, continue to do great work and research and stay on top of a lot of these things. I know folks can go online and, and usually find a lot of the recent reports, like like Lance's that we kind of mentioned and I talked to him yesterday about. I mean, you guys obviously have a, a l great team, large team that really uh, has a lot of uh, – Awesome research available online, right, Justin? Thank you, Jesse. Yes, I mean we're, you know, I'm I'm very proud of the work that we do. We we've got a view on how we think markets are going to develop, and we look forward to talking to you know your audience as well and sharing our views. And I think together, you know, hopefully we can help each other better understand what's going to happen and where the opportunities are for this industry. Definitely. Well, with that, Justin Sherrard with Robblebank. Always uh, good to sit down and have a conversation with you, sir. Thanks for joining us today on the program, and we will talk to you again in the future. I hope so. Thanks very much, Jesse. And once again, really appreciate it. A great conversation there with Justin Sherrard, global strategist, animal protein at Bank. Some interesting points to consider uh, for folks as they're thinking about their marketing plans here on the livestock protein side in the year ahead. Some good thoughts about thinking about the consumer and more. So again, uh, appreciate Justin's time joining us here as we're at the Cattle Industry Convention this week in Orlando, Florida. Looking at the market action again from Thursday. I know we haven't talked a lot about the markets today. I apologize. We've had some other conversations we wanted to share on the show. Soybeans under pressure today. Poor exports down uh, double digits, down 15, 20 cents. Corn and wheat, though, kind of holding up mixed and quiet action. A couple of cents either side of unchanged. Cattle futures uh, really finding some strength uh, late in the session as well. The feeder cattle feeders are the leaders, they say sometimes. Uh, feeders uh, led the way higher on the day Thursday. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show here from Orlando. We're going to have a conversation with Dr. Julia Herman, veterinarian with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. She joins us next here on Market Talk. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here at Cattle Industry Convention in Orlando, pleased to have a conversation with Dr. Julia Herman, veterinarian with NCBA. And Julia, it's good to see you again. Thanks for joining us here at Cattle Convention. Thanks, Jesse. It's always it's always fun to catch up. Well, uh, let's talk biosecurity on the ranch. Such an important topic. I know there's been various 
news headlines and items out there talking about biosecurity around the world. But let, let's talk about here at home and some of the things that we need to keep in mind uh, for our ranchers uh, out there in, in feedlot country and more. And just talk about, you know, biosecurity in general and, and why it's just so important here uh, in 2024. Sure. So biosecurity, I mean... <laughs> I have to I have to define that most of the time. I mean, because I think biosecurity means a little bit different thing to a lot of different people. So when we talk about it on with our cattle, is we're keeping keeping diseases out of you know out of the operation, keeping those animals healthy. Sure. If you do have. Uh, if you do have an illness, say you're having a scours outbreak, you also want to keep that disease in that specific population. You don't want your healthy animals getting sick. So there's two different aspects to biosecurity. And I think a lot of what we talk about in the BQA program funnels right into biosecurity. Um, so good nutrition, it improves your immune system or the cattle's immune system so that they are able to fight off whatever yeah. uh, pathogens are coming through. Having that herd health program with your veterinarian, so developing a vaccine program uh, to vaccinate against all those prevented, preventive, preventable diseases like mm -hmm. bovine respiratory disease. Um, and then, honestly, low-stress handling plays into biosecurity. If you handle those animals as with the least amount of stress, you're not putting stress on their immune system, and you're not setting them up for maybe a, a BRD outbreak or break. Um, so biosecurity looks at uh, there's all different ways if you can protect those cattle. Um, and it really comes down to the people that, that are on the operation, mm -hmm. too. Um, the two-leggers uh, can bring, you know... They can bring manure from another operation onto your operation. They could, you know, if they're working with a sick animal yeah. at the feed yard and they go home to their home cattle, did they change clothes between that? Um, I think we also think about biosecurity for transporters. And so our professional drivers, um, you know, taking care of uh, themselves, um, making sure that they're keeping themselves healthy. Uh, that's also a part of biosecurity is keeping your humans healthy. But um, from a transportation aspect, you know, are you cleaning that trailer out between like if you have to haul calves tomorrow, but you hauled adult cows today, did you clean that trailer out because you don't want those young calves to be exposed to whatever those adult cows had? Mm -hmm. So I think there's lots of elements of biosecurity on the ranch that we can continue to work on. And uh, I mean, we use it as a training tool. I mean, that could be an annual training for anybody on the operation. I mean, from a, the cow-calf sector to, you know, calf ranches um, to uh, feedlots, stalker operations, everybody can really utilize biosecurity and try to improve that. Uh, we have lots of uh, resources mm -hmm. uh, that BQA rec or offers. We have a daily biosecurity plan that we talked about last year. We put that into an online module so people can walk through that um, in their own time, learn about the different principles of biosecurity, uh, how they can keep their cattle safe, and then um, walk through that uh, plan that goes through 12 different areas on the operation. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason we did that, and uh, I can't remember if we talked about this last year or not, but that plan mirrors what the Secure Beef Supply Plan does. And sure. so the, the Secure Beef Supply Plan, you were talking about um, disease threats from uh, across the country uh, and across... Um, around the world. Around yeah. the world. Yeah. Uh, the Secure Beef Supply focuses on prevention or preparing producers um, and preventing foot and mouth disease uh, 
if it comes to the U.S. Yes. Um, it's a plan that producers can voluntarily prepare for now. And so if the outbreak happens, they're better prepared to manage through that outbreak with this plan. Mm-hmm. And so we really tried to um, mirror the different sec- or the different topics from the secure beef supply plan in our daily biosecurity plan so that, that the daily biosecurity plan is an intermediate step to that mm-hmm. really enhanced biosecurity plan that's going to take a lot more cleaning and disinfection, a lot more record keeping, a lot more specific steps to uh, proving that foot and mouth disease didn't get onto your mm-hmm. farm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think with everything you, you were mentioning as well, uh, the thought kind of popped into my head, you know, and I know that, you know, our, our ranchers and our transportation people, and et cetera, et cetera, you know, don't want to introduce any sort of diseases or anything, don't do this. But sometimes if you get going a little too fast one day, maybe you don't think about it. Like you mentioned, maybe you don't change clothes from one, you know, op operation down the road you come back to the other etc and you're just trying to get things done real quick sometimes if you cut a small corner even a small corner that's what can lead to issues so you know with what you guys do with the bqa program and education and more and tying that back into things here i feel like it's just a it's a good refresher it's a good reminder to not cut some of those corners and make sure you do things right every single day, right? Absolutely. I, um, I'm reminded of, so uh, a couple years ago, I got to go to Uganda and study foot and mouth disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, have, they have it all the time in their, in their operation or in their country. And so they just have to manage around the disease. But one of the operations that we went to that had an outbreak, so their farmers, um, one farmer had sick cattle. The neighbor, the neighbors came over to help him because he needed help with his sick cows. Those neighbors ended up taking foot and mouth disease back to their, their mm-hmm. operation. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me because their beef producer community and our beef producer community are very similar in we all, we're, all, we're a community, so we're helping each other. Like how, how often, uh, you know, do you go help? Um, well, I'm in the West, so yeah. uh, how often do you go help brand and vaccinate? And, you know, are we making sure that our boots are clean? Our, you know, our clothes are clean when we go help with the neighbor's cattle? Are we cleaning our horse and tack off when we move to the mm-hmm. next place? There's just some really basic things that I think we could just sit sit still and pay attention to and try to remember that we need to not just protect our cattle, but we want to protect our neighbor's cattle also and what are steps we can do to do that. Definitely. Dr. Julia Herman with NCBA. Thanks for joining us here at Cattle Industry Convention. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for making the time. We will look forward to talking again soon. Thanks, Jesse. All right, and that is going to do it for Market Talk here today. We'll be back on our next program with more conversations for the Cattle Industry Convention. For now, I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.